Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting power bar out there right now. Also, they've got their Built Boost, a series of kind of energy drinks, vitamin drinks that are really great, especially this time of year now that it's heating up. We're exercising outside more as a collective group. And so uh, those are nice to cool off with, get you all your daily vitamins and essentials. All right, on tonight's podcast, Connor Jones and I do part 10 of our 2019 Nationals rewatch. It is time for us to rewatch, relive, and discuss Game 7 of the 2019 World Series. Here we go. 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki, see you later! The Nets have won it! Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth! This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam! Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts in Los Angeles. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. You are listening to the Locked On Nationals podcast. Your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Now, here's your host, Josh Neighbors. Hello, everybody. Tonight, it is Sunday, May 10th, 2020. My name is Josh Neighbors, and this is the Locked On Nationals podcast brought to you by Bill Clark. Tonight, Connor Jones joining me. We are finally at Game 7 of the 2019 World Series. This is part number 10 of our 2019 Nationals rewatch. We're finally here, Connor. We started with that um, that dismal game, uh, well, a dismal stretch the Nationals were on in May. And it's really weird to be full circle, you know, coming from that game in May with Nationals were just, you know, obviously the record stands out. And to be here where they were you know, one of the best teams in the second half and it felt like they should be here, that's such a crazy turn, right? To think that, they were so bad in May, and then that you know it makes a lot of sense. The Nationals win a World Series, and not just a World Series, but a Game Seven, one win away from a title. Yeah, that was a day. I remember kind of leading up to it. It felt kind of like they didn't come this far to only come this far. It it was one where, like personally as a fan, it was one of the most nervous I'd ever been for an entire day leading up to a game. But yeah, looking back on it now, it's definitely a pretty absurd to think where they they went from that May 23rd and how people had kind of mailed it in on the season. Um, a lot of people outside of the clubhouse certainly did. And to be in Game 7 with one of the best teams in the sport is is a, is pretty incredible to, co- to come full circle in that way. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about the nerves and where this team has been. I mean, they, you know, from a fan standpoint, yes, you know, I totally understand the nerves, but that, that's just going to come with it. I'm sure the players felt it, too. But we, we think about all the moments that you and I have talked about and the amount of resolve that this team had showed. You know, it's just time and time again. They showed some in this Game 7 that we'll get into. But, you know, it's – yeah, it just it was a weird spot. It was a weird series. You know, at this point in time, heading into Game 7, the road team was 6-0. and um, Game 7s are kind of an all-bets-are-off scenario. So I don't really know how much, uh, much that applied. Um but just, you know, a unique set of circumstances, and it's just, you know, th- there is no tomorrow at this point. I mean, it's, it gets decided in one game, and you think about how many games are played up to that point, 162-plus playoffs. 
you know, you're, you know, you're approaching the around 200 games and, uh, you know, it just comes down to one, which is, is, is pretty crazy. It's just, that's, that's kind of the weird part about it, you know, is, is that you like in baseball, especially you play so many and it comes down to one sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's such a long journey. The baseball season sometimes feels like uh, a far longer journey than maybe any other sport, probably because it is with the number of games that are played in um, coming into that game. Not only was it coming down to, to one game, but Max Scherzer's biggest start of his career was coming down to a situation where people really had no clue how he was going to be able to fare health-wise in that, in that game. And, um, you know, with all of the, the talk, him missing game five, being they're saying he'd be able to start game seven if it came to that, but we didn't really know how effective he would be. So not only did you put in, you know, seven, eight months of work to get there, but, you know, if, if Max... If Max isn't at least in the, the the same ballpark of what he normally is, that game could be over quick. Yeah, and what's weird about a lot of these games is that you see is, you know, it was a close series, obviously, but a lot of the games didn't end up being that close. Game one ended up being a one-run game, but, you know, it, it needed some, a little bit of help there towards the end. That, that was a close game, but 12-3, the Nationals game two, Four one Astros a closer game, but it didn't like you said you were there. It didn't feel as close. Eight one seven one those weren't close. Nationals in game six it was a, it felt a lot closer, but the Nationals ended up pulling away. And so each team it just it was like watching two boxers. It really was. It was it was a lot of punch counter punch, and it just kind of rock em sock em robots with these massive, mostly offensive pushes. I would say. I mean for the Nash you know for the Astros there were some really stellar pitching performances, but. The offensive output from game to game was the one thing. It just felt like which team's lineup was going to get the bigger punch because we had two aces on the mound. Yeah, and in a lot of those games, by the time it got late into it, you're right, it wasn't close. A lot of them were maybe close for a while, specifically that game two in Houston where the final score probably doesn't reflect how competitive that game was for the vast majority of it. But um, you know, at the same time, the series is obviously – extremely close and when you're facing starting pitchers like that runs are going to be tough to come by so if you do have an opportunity you have to capitalize as best you can which I think at times both teams did and I think at times both teams would say they didn't they weren't able to to put the opponent away the way they would like to I know the Nats pitching staff especially the starters was able to get through a lot of different to get out of a lot of jams you've seen uh, Strasburg do it Scherzer do it and, and that's a big reason why, when it came down to Game 7, they were able to, to make a few more plays. Locked on Nationals podcast would like to thank Built Bar for their support. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. I've been really crushing Built Bars. Uh, I'm trying to work my way up to six miles right now, so Built Bar uh, running. Built Bar and Built Boost have really uh, helped me out a lot. They're tasty protein bars. It tastes like candy bar, but it is a protein bar. They have 16 amazing flavors. All 16 are, sh- are chocolate. Uh, eight are chocolate nut flavors. The other eight are chocolate nut free flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. Built bars are healthy. They're great for health conscious guys who are looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. Here's the flavor profile for the peanut butter brownie 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 grams of net carbs. Flavor profile for the mint brownie, which this one I love a lot, 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON 
for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Locked on Nationals podcast, we'd like to thank Postmates for their support. And Postmates has been doing a lot right now. For those of us who are trying to stay inside more, not go places, interact with people, uh, you know, keep that social distancing going on, I got some Postmates, Postmates, some wings, and some beer for uh, UFC 249 on Saturday night, which was nice to have live sports back. If you're like me, you're probably thinking about dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. But right now, I love them even more because they deliver food without leaving, I get food without leaving the house, or even open the door. Given what's going on in the world, they've created non-contact deliveries. So now when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside the door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to take out from my favorite local restaurants. You guys need to be supporting local restaurants right now. It's very important. Small businesses are getting hit by this the most. Let's see if we can uplift them by ordering our food from them. I try to do at least once or twice a week. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and then dropping it off at my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the, the app and use the code Locked On. That's code Locked On for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates it. All right, so this game seven, um, I'll talk about a lot of different elements. First two, to, uh, first time two former Cy Young winners were squaring off in a game seven. And it was Granke who earlier in the series in game three, four and two thirds innings pitched, seven hits, um, one run given up, three walks, six strikeouts, 95 pitches. So, you know, really kind of a weird outing for him. Didn't give up a ton of runs, but a lot of pitches, you know, he, he didn't have a ton of success. Max Scherzer game one, five innings pitch, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, five strikeouts. So two guys who didn't have their best stuff in their previous outings. And, um, it was weird because, you know, I would say they didn't have their best stuff in this one as well, too. Um, and it starts off at the top of the first inning. This will be a theme the entire night, but the Astros were on it defensively. We had seen earlier in the series that they weren't. Tonight, Connor, they were really, in this game, they were really locked in. I mean, those at first inning, all of them were plays made in the field and a couple close ones. And they did a really good job, I thought, actually, this entire game of playing some really sound defense. Yeah, they, I mean... It, it was definitely a far cry from what we saw in that game to um, late inning situation. It seemed like Houston was able to make a lot of plays that that robbed the Nationals of creating any potential momentum. At the same time, Zach Grinke pitched really well, and I felt like if he didn't come out of the game, I was like, I don't, I'm not sure that they can score a couple runs off this guy. So, um, you know, for for six innings uh, on the mound and defensively, Houston gave the Nationals offense fits and Scherzer certainly didn't have his best stuff at all I think him only giving up two runs was a huge break for the Nats I think watching Scherzer it's like it seemed like you didn't really know or he didn't really know where the ball was going he wasn't really able to locate at all but uh, you know he was able to he was able to stay in there and, and compete like we've seen so many times before and give his team a chance to win but um you know, as far as it was going for the Nationals offensively, Houston's defense certainly had a lot to do with that. Yeah, the bottom of the first, you know, uh, Scherzer walks one run, uh, one batter, excuse me. But um, there's no harm. I mean, there was traffic on the bases all night. Top of the second inning, Soto singles. But Granke does a good job of jamming up. Uh, Kendrick and gets a double play. And like you said, he pitched really well. 
And also, too, I mean, you know, his defense in this game was stellar. He made a bunch of plays. Grinky is a five-time gold glover, but th- that was on display early. Bottom of the second, Guriel goes down very low and grabs a breaking ball, and it's 1-0 Astros. 2-1, and Guriel lines it deep to left field. Going back is Soto looking up. See you later! And the Lancers Crawford boxes. Yuli Guriel makes it 1-0 Astros. This was a big moment here, Connor, and, and you know, they got to Scherzer early, and they made it pretty clear that they were going to have to, you know, Scherzer was going to have to work really hard. A good, patient at uh, ABs for the most part, I thought, from the Astros. And they were going to make some, you know, they put some good swings on balls. And this was one, too, where Gurriel just goes down there and grabs it and puts it in the Crawford boxes. Yeah, both, both Scherzer starts in this series, Gurriel got to him in his first at-bat. And in a game like this, getting out in front is so important to kind of allow you to, to take off the nerves and not feel like you're fighting from behind an uphill battle, which uh, with that home run, Houston was able to, to do that and have some momentum. And uh, they're certainly a patient hitting team. They're going to make you throw strikes. It wasn't easy for Scherzer to do that over the course of this game. I think basically every inning was a struggle to get the three outs and keep Houston off the board. So, you know, when that happens, you know that, Scherzer's not going to get you deep into the game. You're just hoping every inning that he can avoid kind of giving up the crooked number, which Mm -hmm. with those solo home runs, people always say those don't beat you. You still don't want to get behind. But um, when you think about the number of runners on base that Houston had, uh, particularly early in that game while Scherzer was out there, it's, it's pretty fortunate that when someone did run into one, it happened when no one was on base, which wasn't the case for a lot of that outing. Yeah, and, and after that, too, the solo home run, like you said, Alvarez gets a single, Correa singles. Luckily, Chirinos pops out on a really bad, I mean, a horrible bum attempt. Uh, it was a fastball up, and he should have pulled back, and he, he, you know, just was too slow and just pops it right up in the air. And then Reddick moves the runners over with, with the ground out. That ball is hit hard. I forget who hit, hits it, but um, to end the inning, Soto awkwardly kind of grabs that ball in the outfield, Connor. Did you, did you kind of... You know, did your heart skip a beat there for a second on yeah, that, that ball hit the left field? Yeah, that that felt like complete crisis averted there. I mean, it, it, if you get behind, especially the way Grinky was going, um, which you could even see through the first couple innings, it was going to be a really, really tough uphill battle to be able to get back in, into that game. But that, that's one where you definitely your heart skips a beat. You feel like you get out of it only giving up one, and you consider that you you really consider that a win, even though you're down in the game. To, to minimize the damage, but yeah, whatever um, was going on in left field on that play, the, the Nats were very fortunate yeah. that Soto was able to to pull it in because that was that was really awkward. We go to the top of the third, and, and Nats are getting bats on balls, but they're hitting them right at people, and you know as a result of that, Granke throws twenty seven pitches to get through the first three innings. So um, obviously, a, a, you know, really efficient effort there. Bottom of the third. Altuve single, um, Bregman walk, and there's two on one out. Scherzer gets two flyouts, gets out of there. So pitching with guys, you know, guys on, on, in traffic. Granke, top of the fourth, makes, uh, I think, two or three plays in this inning um, and does a really good job at, at the mound. Bottom of the fourth, uh, Scherzer gets his first strikeout. So obviously things have not been clicking at that point. Reddick gets a two-out single. Scherzer um, walks, then walks George Springer and gets Altuve to pop out. Astros at this point, Connor, and back to your point again, they've stranded seven runners at this point. And um, you and I talked a bunch about Scherzer's ability to grind without his best stuff. And, 
you know, it's so funny because we talk about Strasburg. It's about him getting through the you know, first couple innings. For Scherzer, when he doesn't have his best stuff, it's just it's inc- it's incredible to watch him just labor and work because you can, nobody works harder than that guy when his command's not there and uh, it's it's not his night. And we were seeing it here. And I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not just on the Astros. You know, the fact that they've left uh, seven guys on base through four innings, a lot of that credit should go to Scherzer too. Yeah, he he deserves a lot of credit for the kind of competitor he is, even when he doesn't have his best, to be able to stay in there and give his team still a really good chance to win. Because, I mean, two runs or five innings is a, a great start for a lot of guys, especially in a postseason game. But, um, you know, the way the way he got there was really – it was a is pulling a cliche out of the Davey Martinez book. It was a real bumpy road. Um, but – Anytime Max Scherzer doesn't get a strikeout until the fourth inning, like you mentioned, you know he doesn't he doesn't have what you typically see from him, right? From um, kind of a sharpness perspective, so he's going to have to get by on on uh, being able to stay in there and in in battle and compete because nothing's going to come easy. And he's still for a guy as talented as he is, he's able to to do that so often as well. And that's kind of what happened here because. Uh, you know, like we've seen kind of inning after inning, Houston was able to to get some guys on and and have some opportunities to do some real damage. But Max limited it, which, as we'll see later in the game, um, gives the Nats a chance to quickly get back in it. Yeah, top of the fifth, Kendrick walks, Cabrera moves him over, but and Zimmerman pops out to end the inning. So they get a little something going, but not much. Bottom of the fifth, Brantley walks with two outs, Correa singles down the line. Correa grounds it past the dive of the third base of Rendon and down the left field line. Guriel scores on his way to third. Alvarez to throw to third. Not in time. RBI for Correa and a 2-0 Astros lead. 2-0 Astros. And this, to me, Connor, was just a situation where, I mean, Scherzer was grinding and he was doing a good job, but you you can only, like, the dam was going to break at one point. Like, it was not just going to be one run with the way that Scherzer was pitching. Um... And the fact that he got through five, only allowing two runs, um, I mean, yeah, and he gets a K of the Torinos to get out of it. You felt like that was the end of the line, and I actually felt pretty good on rewatch. I was, you know, trying to think objectively. F, I mean, for what he brought to the table, which I think he'd probably give himself an F for um, Scherzer would, I mean, two runs in that five innings that he pitched is not, uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I'd grade him out much higher than an F. I mean, I think from, I'm saying he would, he would give him pure, he would give himself his- an F. What he had stuff wise on the mound that night, it was pretty close. I mean, it was to an F. Like it was pretty, it was close to as bad as kind of or as much of a struggle as you ever see him have. Kind of from hitter to hitter, where everything's a challenge. I mean, he uh, struggling to throw strikes, struggling to eff- throw effective strikes when he does. I mean, to lead up to that Correa, the Correa hit, he walks a guy into scoring position, which is something you don't see much from him either. But even here, only giving up one run is not the worst thing in the world because it could have been worse again. There's two guys stranded on base to end the inning. Yeah, and, and then we you know we move on now to the top of the sixth. Um, another strong inning for Granky here, and this is where I think through six, and I think my dad texted me. It just it felt like one of those nights where Granky just kind of had it going on, and the Astros defensively had it going on. Did you start getting nervous at this point? Because I think this is the part where Nationals fans really started to think it might just be Granky's night. Yeah, and what's what makes you so nervous here is Grinky's Grinky's absolutely rolling, and 
in that situation, he's also you also know that Garrett Cole's available to come in if you start to get to Grinky a little bit. So even if you do start to make some some strides against him, when Cole comes into the game, which you're assuming is going to happen at this point, how are you going to be able to get to both of those guys? Because you feel like you have to get Grinky to get him out, get to Grinky to get him out of there, and then you have to get to Cole to have a chance to win the game. So it, you, I, you, I don't think. It's just another example of the Nats being down late in a, a deciding playoff game where I'd say, yeah, you don't, you don't feel good about it. I mean, they've had to come back against so many of the top arms in the league over um, in these deciding games. Yeah, and then we get to the bottom of the sixth where Patrick Corbin comes into the game. And boy, I mean, he was, I think he's the unsung hero of this game, what he gives. But just for the moment being Marisnik single, it felt like this is, <laughs> this is not the first time that uh, a relief outing for, for Corbin started off, started off with a hit. But it gets Springer on a K. And then also he gets Altuve to ground into double play. So, I mean, a great job getting out of it. We go to the top of the seventh, one out, 1-0 breaking ball. And Rendon, nice, easy, fluid swing. He makes it 2-1. to one. Swing a long drive to left, way back, forget about it. It is going, going, and long gone into the Crawford boxes, and the Nationals are on the board. And we've seen this, uh, we've seen that swing so many times. It, it just, he made that look so effortless, that home run um, in the seventh inning, Connor. I mean, it was just another moment of pure brilliance, and he had another one later in the game. But from, from Rendon, I mean, that's, um, that's what we've come to expect. Yeah, I mean, he's. you feel like if somebody's going to be able to get to a guy rolling that well, it's probably going to be Rendon or Soto. Um, it's a great swing from Rendon. I do want to mention, um, you You kind of got uh, on the subject of the Patrick Corbin outing, and that had a lot of shades of Strasburg in the wild card game, um, coming in down by a couple runs and really dominating the game from from there on out. But the the Rendon at bat, it's it's so big to just have something on the board against Granky to get, to give you some life because it's been an absolute struggle. They've really gotten nothing going for multiple innings in a row, essentially. So that swing there, you start to feel like you know maybe um, you know now you're only one swing away from tying it. So you know if they third time through the order, maybe they're going to get to him a little bit. But um, you know Anthony Rendon, another example of a, a a huge at bat from him against against a tough pitcher. Yeah, and then I mean Soto. The, the best part of this inning though is when Soto he takes a two one pitch called a ball and, and spreads out, grabs his junk, and then shows his tongue to Granky. Uh, he did not. Oh, he did a pretty good job of endearing himself to the uh, Astros fans during this series on multiple occasions. This was, I mean, the fact that it's a game seven, the Nationals are down, and he's still just doing his thing and having fun. Uh, I thought that's such a telling moment about his personality. Like, I think if somebody asked, tell, you know, if somebody just was dropped down on earth and said, hey, who's Juan Soto? You know, what, what can you tell me about him? I would just show them that clip. Connor, you, you remember this? This. Yeah, it's yeah, it's such confidence for such yes. a young player in, in a huge spot that may overwhelm a lot of people. But, you know, even at his age, it's he almost shines brighter in those opportunities. I think, and even when he's struggling, it, it seems like the confidence it never wavers. We saw that in the wild card game against Josh Hader, and you see here where the Soto walk that at bat is is one of the the huge the huge um, at bats in this game that people aren't really going to think about because you're going to think about those those two homers around them, but without that Soto walk. You know, does does Grinky even leave the game? And then does Howie Kendrick right. 
he, Allie Kendrick doesn't even have the opportunity to give you the lead, and Grinky's probably still in there. So, you know, it kind of it kind of changes the course of history a little bit, just, you know, by doing the, the simple things and not trying to do too much. Yep, and Granky's out of there after that after that walk. Uh, Will Harris comes in, now current national. 1-0 pitch to Kendrick, 91 mile, uh, mile an hour. It's low and outside, and he just goes with us and drives it, off, uh, drives it to right field off the foul pole, 3-2. Will Harris deals with Kendrick. Kendrick into the opposite corner. That one well hit. Springer looks up, and it's gone! Howie Kendrick has delivered the Nationals a one-run lead! And this one is gone! It hits the foul pole, and the Nationals lead! Howie, so many big moments. One of those guys, just consummate professional. A guy who's been around the the block, and... He just jolted them and gave them the lead right here, and this is where you felt it. That was when they took that lead. I I think you just said they're not giving this thing back because we've seen them so many times come from behind and do things like this, and that's what they do. They they you know they might falter in the beginning, but they grind, and when they get ahead, they didn't give it back. And I think that was the most important part of this playoff run is that the Nationals once they did take a lead, the grip tightened and teams did not find their way back. Yeah, here it felt like it felt like the Nats went from in a in a really dark spot, and you kind of got the sense that they weren't going to win this game. To suddenly up three two in the blink of an eye, it really wasn't a bad pitch from Will Harris either. Down and away, mm-hmm. a, a cutter. You kind of it's a pretty tough break for him because it's a three hundred thirty six foot home run. It just squeaks off the foul pole, and you you don't want to. I mean, it's still a great swing from Howie Kendrick, and he just. He really beat a good pitch. It wasn't necessarily a miss from Will Harris, but that's that tends to be what happens in the game of baseball. But you know, even at three two, I don't feel. I know what the Astros lineup is capable of, so you still kind of feel like, or at least I did, that you you want a couple more runs to feel to really feel comfortable because the Astros lineup can can get you from all directions as well. So those insurance runs to me felt pretty critical. Um, going in kind of the last the last couple innings to give the bullpen, Corbin, whoever came in after him, a little more room to work with. Bottom of the seventh, Corbin continues to be the bridge. Two-out single, but he's able to field a grounder and get out of it. Top of the eighth, Spanky with one-out uh, one walk, excuse me, and then steals. Rendon flies out. Soto turns on a 1-0 inside fastball, single to right, 4-2. Another big moment right here. Here's Soto. Base hit into right. Eaton will come around third base and score. Soto delivers again, and it's 4-2 Nationals here in the eighth. He just seems to rise to the occasion, and it was another one of those moments where people just keep joking. He's only 20, he's only 20, he's only 20, but you have to mention that. There's honestly never been a player who's been this young and shown this much poise. can, Can you think of anybody, Connor, who's shown maturity like this in baseball that we can ever remember? Not in these situations. I think... People always, the comparison has been for hitters that young, Juan Soto and Ken Griffey Jr. But, I mean, you haven't seen, you know, it's, it's not typical you see a player at 20, 21 years old in Game 7 of the World Series and critical at-bats. So it's not just the way he was able to perform. It's, it's in the, the moments where he was able to do it. Because I think this run in this game is critical. You want to you wanna kind of break Houston's will a little bit and Soto comes up and hits a two-out bolt into right field, and you, you certainly feel a ton better about a two-run lead rather than a one-run lead when one swing of the bat can't tie the game anymore. It, it's it got to feel good for Patrick Corbin, and it's 
it's another time where the Astros are they're probably thinking, how many times can this kid beat us? Yeah, and, and he did it all series long. Um, Kendrick gets, uh, goes right side again on first and third, and uh, Presley comes in and gets, gets an out. So at that point, you know, you're thinking 4-2, pretty good spot. Now you go bottom of the eighth. It's Corbin's third inning, and this is where he just proves his worth once again. That's what I think about him, you know, sticking it out. I mean, you know, pitching nearly, I think, throws nearly 40 pitches. I thought I thought that was a really important inning for the Astros. I thought they needed to push across a run there. I thought they needed to do something to respond because it looked like, you know, other games in the series, and they weren't able to muster it. And so you go top of the nine, Joe Smith in, Zimmerman singles, um, goes into run, Robles single, and um, then Turner walks with one out. Bases loaded. Then Adam Eaton, uh, another big spot for him up the middle. Spanky gets it done. Urquidy out of the bullpen. That is up the middle. One run scores. That's Gomes. They hold Robles. Now send him as Marisnik kicks it in center. Two more runs, and it's 6 2. Nationals up by four here in the ninth. Um, and Marisnik boots it. You know, at, at first they held up uh, Robles, I believe, at third. But once Marisnik boots it, they send him home. 6 2. This felt like the nail in the coffin right here. Yeah, this. This is where you feel like the game's over. Like the first time where I was kind of, I lost focus on kind of the, the present inning and was able to kind of really recognize the Nats were able to, or were going to actually win the World Series was when Adam Eaton singled in the ninth inning. Cause now you're like, it's, it's a four run lead. Um, and that's, you feel like that's enough. It's kind of like the Grand Slam against the Dodgers where it puts you up by four and the opponent only has three outs to work with. And you're kind of like, you know, where does where is Houston going to be able to manufacture enough offense against the Nats pitching staff to, to attempt to make a comeback with only three outs to work with? But it shows it shows how many guys, especially at the top of the order, were able to come through time after time. I mean, you look at Eaton, Rendon and Soto, and they're kind of in the, the middle of everything offensively this whole series. Um, some other guys were able to chip in as well. But when the Nats were going to be able to, to provide the offense necessary to, to get to Houston's pitching, it was pretty much those three guys in the middle of it. Yeah, and you go to the ninth inning, Daniel Hudson comes in, pop out KK. I mean, it's, you know, academic at that point. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books! The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. And the Nationals are World Series champions. And, um, you know, for us, I mean, I think I think about D.C. first as a city because the Nationals, they haven't been around that long. And, and look, they've had a lot of really good seasons. One of the things that we're going to do actually coming up is talk about, hey, what is the Nationals' second best season? Because I obviously know the best one. But, you know, thinking about which teams are they've had. I mean, they've had so many talented groups. Um, but for a city that was championship starved and Connor, you and I are from the area and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, we don't share common baseball team, but, you know, DC sports between the Capitals, Wizards and Redskins success has been, was elusive until 2018 until, you know, the, the, the Capitals got that championship. And I mean, this, the, the city is what I thought of too, you know, the, the nationals embodied and displayed so many of the characteristics that we saw from the Capitals um, and it was, it's, you know, I don't think every, every championship team does have those moments. 
but it felt like the Nationals had more than than most. I didn't think they had more than the Capitals did. Like the Capitals, besides having to overcome, you know, the deficit against Columbus in the first round and getting over the Penguins hump, and, uh, you know, and coming back from three two in the next series. Like the Penguins, they they were just a better team in that series. So it wasn't like a hump; it was just more of a long term mental hump. But you know, they didn't really have a, a ton of adversity besides being down 2-0 and besides being down 3-2. The Nationals had a lot of it, whether it was regular season um, you know, and postseason. The way they dealt with it time and time again, you know, it, it felt like sometimes you feel like your, your luck might run out. For them, it felt like, well, they're just going to keep doing it again. Like it, it just was their – it was in their DNA to always find a way to correct wrongs, to, to punch back. And that was the most impressive thing when you look back at the body of work like we have. Yeah, it's one for a long time. It definitely felt like DC sports were kind of a complete joke, and a lot, of, a couple of franchises there. It's probably fair to say that they still are, but um, you know, with the things that the Nats and the Caps were able to accomplish on their their individual runs, I think it kind of changed perception a lot. In this run specifically, the as you said, they went through a lot of adversity. Sometimes as a fan, I was like, are they going out of their way to create this? Because it seems like right. every single time, they're not – every single – none of the none of the clinching games or, or deciding games in a series came easy. They all – they came from behind in all of them, whether it would be the – they were behind in game – the wild card game. They're behind in game four, I believe, against the Dodgers, behind in game five against the Dodgers. Um behind in game six against the Astros and behind in game seven against the Astros. So it was like game after game where they're where they're playing with their final life, they were they're behind in each of those games. So they really didn't ever jump out to a lead in in any of those matchups and kind of take hold of it from the beginning. And if you kind of think how many times can a team win a game coming from behind? And they were able to do that one final time. And then this also produced a great moment after the fact. The Nationals rewatched this game on Zoom together. Uh, and the best moment was definitely Brian Dozier hitting the trash can during the Zoom call. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot. A nice trolling of the Astros. Always love to laugh at the Astros' expense. Astros fans, it's fine. Just don't, be, don't get so hurt about it. it it's going to be okay. Um, but yeah, another moment like too. Like you see the Zoom call, and I think the one thing about that is guys who aren't on the team anymore – like wanted to be a part of it. And Anthony Rendon too, just, you know, I could see somebody just kind of moves on or whatever. Him being a part of it was cool. You know, Para being overseas, him being a part of it was really nice. I believe Dozier's on San Diego now too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, him being a part of it was cool, a special group. And you could tell that bond that they, they, they have and they forged is one of those things that's going to last them. Yeah. You think there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys still there that are going to try and, try and win another championship. There's a lot of guys that have had to move on uh, based on baseball reasons, business reasons. But I think the thing that everyone from that team will have in common is it's probably going to be, it's safe to say it's probably going to be their highlight of their careers. No matter what they go through or win a championship, um, maybe, maybe guys will win a championship somewhere else, some of them. But even if they do, I think that what happened here is so unique because of the path that they took to that world series title. I think it's just so unlike any other one we've seen. It seems like everything came so hard, whether it be being 12 games below 500, being down in all these matchups, blowing all three home world series games. It's just, it's such a, it's such a unique championship where the way that it happened, 
Um, and it shows to be able to overcome all that adversity, it takes a super tight knit group. So I think to me, you're not surprised to see those guys still wanting to, to interact with each other and, and relive those moments, even though their professional careers may take them in different directions. All right. One final question, because we got to get out of here. Last dance is starting now. Uh, favorite moment from the championship run? Personal favorite moment, probably the Howie Kendrick Grand Slam. The mm. reason against the Dodgers, the reason I say that is that's kind of the, that was the, the, the wall that you felt like they were trying right. to get over, the hump that they were trying to get over for so long. It was just trying to get out of the, the NLDS. And from there, I felt like it would take so much pressure off of them to be able to know, you know, we were able to win a series and you're able to relax a little bit going into the next one. Because after the, the four straight losses in that round to finally break through, I think that felt pretty similar, um, DC fans would say, to when the Cavs finally got by the Penguins. At the Howie Kringer Grand Slam was probably my personal favorite moment because I was I felt like from there you got the Cardinals next and you, you have a it went from in the matter of probably an hour and a half, it went from probably losing your fifth straight in LDS to having a great opportunity at getting to the World Series. So just kind of that roller coaster getting through the moment where the fan base and the players had been burned so many times before would probably be my, be my personal favorite. All right, Connor, appreciate your time. Uh, we did it, guys. One through ten, we did our, our 2019 Nats rewatch. You can catch all of those in the podcast feed. We'll be starting some new series coming up, too, uh, making kind of our all-time national teams, looking at back at some players' careers start to finish, or not even finish yet, Ryan Zimmerman, Bryce Harper, but just kind of their journeys with the Nationals. So stay tuned for that stuff. Also check out the Locked On Major League Baseball podcast, as well as the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. All of these things part of the podcast, Locked On Podcast Network.